Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting firm RiderFlex. If you enjoyed today's guest interview, please give it a like and be sure to subscribe to the RiderFlex podcast. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Jeff Fleischman on the RiderFlex podcast. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm great. How are you today? I'm doing fine. You're, are you in Florida or are you traveling? I'm a newly transplanted Floridian, so I'm at home uh, and enjoying the new warmer weather compared to the Northeast. Right. You, you definitely have that Northeast accent, by the way. I'm sure you know that. <laughs> I've never heard that before. <laughs> are you in Delray? Where are you at? Where, where are I'm you? Not, well, I'm in Boynton Beach, right next next door to Delray. Okay. Now, uh, no, July and you know June, July, and August are a little warm. But were you there for this last winter? It'll be my second full summer. So uh, I tell people you have spring and summer here. Maybe three days of winter, but the summers aren't terrible. Obviously, when it gets super hot, you don't lay around in the sun, but. Yeah, you have uh, plenty of AC down here and, and plenty of alternatives than uh, baking alive. So it's not too bad. <laughs> it's not quite as hot as Miami, right? It's still pretty bad, but not not quite as bad. I'd say pretty close. We're, we're about <laughs> 60 miles from Miami, so um, not terribly different. OK, why? Uh, why? Why did you pick that area? Just curious. Uh, we moved down. We stayed on Satellite Beach for about uh, three weeks and we had gotten a rental in Delray and rentals were not that easy. It was during COVID. We okay. had a dog. And so, it, again, another you know obstacle to getting a rental. So we found one in Delray. We were open to West Coast, East Coast, and we settled here. Loved the area. Uh, downtown Delray, Boca. We have Fort, Fort Lauderdale to one side, West Palm to the other, Miami. I went to a Met game in Miami. And I had front row seats right behind the Miami uh, dugout, right? Really? And the only reason why I took those seats, because the seats behind the Mets dugout on the other side were three times as expensive. <laughs> so were, you wearing your Met, were you wearing your Mets stuff? I was wearing my Mets stuff. I didn't have to worry about being jumped since everyone in the stadium seemed to like the Mets. And there weren't <laughs> many people. So, um, but no, it's, it's been a good transition. I love Florida. You know, I do like the warmer weather and I... Wanted to see palm trees and sunnier skies, and I got both. Nice. Okay, very good. Well, so tell us, where, where did you grow up? Give us some family, early history stuff. Well, as you can tell from the accent, um, <laughs> it was in Kansas. I was born in Brooklyn and uh, moved to Queens okay. um, when I was about five. So basically stayed there through uh, the time I got married and actually lived there for three years. Um Went to school there, spent my whole life there. And then um, after I got married, we moved to New Jersey, uh, settled in, in the suburbs. And, Queens to uh, Queens to New Jersey is not I mean, it's a little different, but just it's not quite like Florida. <laughs> yeah, it, it, no, not not quite the same as Florida. It was a little bit different because my first house had a third of an acre. And I remember, I you know, growing up in Queens, I had a very small house. We had seven yeah. people. Uh, when I was growing up, we had probably seven people in, I, I want to say 1,200 square feet. It was very small. My wow. grandmother lived in what was called a living room, uh, which was really not a living room, but we called it a living room. And so when I 
First night I moved to New Jersey, it was a 2,400 square foot house. So not terribly big, you know, not super small either. And I remember coming down the steps. I remember this very clearly as if it happened yesterday. I I came down the steps, I looked in my kitchen, I looked in my family room and said, I live in a mansion. (laughs) Right. Uh, What'd your folks do? Uh, My dad worked for the depository trust company. He was a supervisor. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and uh, they raised four boys, and wow. we weren't too much trouble. No, not too much trouble. So uh, we. Where were, were you? Trouble. Where were you in the mix? I'm at the top, and I'm an identical twin. Oh, really? Okay. Now, yeah. were you were you the good kid, the bad kid, somewhere in the middle, rebel? Where were you? <laughs> well, growing up in Queens and Brooklyn, you know, you become street smart. So um, I, I consider myself someone who was smart enough not to get into a lot of trouble. OK, uh, but on occasion, you know, we have some fun and maybe do some things looking back. I wouldn't do today, but it wasn't it really wasn't too bad. I didn't give my parents any headaches, <clears throat> no arrests, no tickets, no subpoenas, oh. nothing All like right. that. So, All right. Okay. Well, now you're, you're roughly my age, I think. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and I said, Scott, I said, aren't you so glad we didn't have cell phones and social media and sending pictures and all this stuff that can be trapped online. Said, Man, I, I, I probably would have gotten a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of people don't realize the permanency of making a statement, a comment today. Oh, I I mean, right? people could have made stupid in the moment statements that oh, yeah. they oh, may, yeah. may have meant, may not have meant, but it, it's, I have to say, I tell my kids and I tell young people, no matter what you do, I don't care if it's Snapchat or TikTok, mm-hmm. anyone can take a picture of a picture and, <laughs> and make that public. So don't think that you're all secure and encrypted because there's a hundred mm-hmm. ways to beat the system. That's and right. if you're going to say something, be prepared to live with that for the rest of your lives. Unfortunately, for me, my my um, internet service was my bike. Yeah, um, right. I, so totally. I up, yeah. So <laughs> I grew up in Queens, and I got my bike, and my mom said, "Be home for dinner." Right. So be home for dinner, and then I get back on the bike and go hang out with my friends and be home when I was supposed to be home. But that was basically the form of communications: is riding your bike to hang out with your friends. That's right. Yep. I was the same. It was, it was wonderful. Actually, <laughs> there are times now when I, I think, man, remember when you could leave the house and nobody could contact you until you came home. That was so awesome. <laughs> simple, simple days, right? Simple. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So did you have an early epiphany? Like, okay, I, I want to be a marketing executive when I grew up. I'm going to guess not, but tell me what, what, yeah. When you went to school and kind of walk us into how you decided what you wanted to be when you grew up. Uh, yeah. Great question. So I really had no idea what I wanted to do. Like um, most of us. Up, like most of us. And, and some days I wonder if I'm still figuring out what I want to do, <laughs> <laughs> but I would say that I, some point in high school, I always felt I wanted to go to college, but not really any clue as to which college I wanted to go to. You just so, wanted to like, you just wanted to party and have a good time. That's that was your primary goal. All right. This is the sad truth. Okay. I'm the first <laughs> college graduate in my family. I had no idea about college, none whatsoever. Other than you go to college, you get a degree and you graduate and you make a good living. Um, my parents never forced me or said, you have to go to college. They wanted me to go to college. Okay. 
And I went to a pretty tough high school. Matter of fact, I have the newspaper in my uh, cabinet behind me. Tough as in hard to get good grades or tough as in you might get in fights every day? Uh, tough as in you might not survive any day. Um, <laughs> so uh, certainly wasn't known for its academics. Um, I have a, and I kind of wear it as a badge. It's, it's uh, on the daily news, the okay. city's worst school. And on the, really? covers, really? I'm not kidding. I could, I keep it on my phone. It's in my favorites. And I show people where I came from. So there were, you know, gangs and weapons. And, and this is, I don't want to say how old I am, but this goes back into the mid seventies when I was in high school into late, late seventies, actually. And it was a pretty rough school and I could have gone easily gone one way or the other way. And somewhere something clicked in my head and I said, I think I'm going to try to go to the right and make a right turn, go to college and, um, and, you know, and try to get out of the life, you know, not that my life was bad. I loved growing up in Queens. I had a great yeah. childhood. But it could have, it could have went dark. It could have went dark on you pretty quick. It, it could have gone dark pretty quickly. And I've seen stuff in that high school that most people could not even imagine. Um, did any of your brothers, any of your brothers end up going down the wrong path? No, no. Luckily, okay. knock on wood, we all uh, we all went the, the, down what I think was the right path. Um, three Is of that because you're still so three of you graduated college? Yep. Yep. Three of us have college degrees. And neither one of your parents had a degree. No. Congrats to them sending three boys to school. Uh, was yep. your dad a tough character? Was he like pretty like, uh, you know. <laughs> no, my dad was a pretty easygoing guy. Matter of oh. fact, um, low key. Uh, he was very autistic and I have some of that from him. And matter of fact, my high school notebook is back there with the Rolling Stones, uh, picture on it. I painted that myself by hand with a little tiny brush and cool. I still have that from high school. Uh, cool. so he was autistic. He, uh, was a great ball player and I didn't realize how good he was until he told me he tried out for the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Yankees. And wow. at the time he was, a, he lived in Brooklyn. He went to Erasmus high school with Sandy Koufax and a bunch of other great ball players. Oh, that's pretty cool. And he, so I said, dad, what happened? You know, you tried out. He goes, well, the Yankee, uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers didn't want me, which is disappointing to him because he was a huge Dodger fan, but the Yankees invited me back to spring training. And I went, what? I, <laughs> I, I couldn't believe him. I said, yeah, right. Sure. And I'm Bud Harrelson. Bud Harrelson was a shortstop for the New York Mets at the time. Okay. And, and he said, no, no, I'm serious. And he took out these letters and showed me these letters. And I never had seen them before. That's and, I, and I have to tell you, I never looked at him the same way. I couldn't believe how, what a good ball player he was. And then I saw him play stickball and softball in like the, in the, you know, in the neighborhood leagues. Yeah. And he once hit a, a ball in the street with a stickball. And that ball went so far, we never found it. <laughs> <laughs> How about so, that? That's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. Is he still alive? No, unfortunately, he passed away when I was a junior in college out of the blue. Uh, so uh, it was rough. There, he was a glue in the family. Um, just a great guy. And it he was, was probably junior in college. So he was probably what, late 50s, early mid 50s? Oh, 46. Oh, man. That's yeah, tough. Yeah. yeah, he got a bad break and had a massive heart attack. He oh, was at the stock okay. exchange watching stocks because he loved that. And back then, if you didn't read the newspaper the next morning to track the stock prices, there was no way of tracking stocks. Like now you just pick up your phone and you can. So he'd like to walk over. He worked downtown Manhattan. Like to walk yep. Like to, you know, look at the stock prices, went to the observatory on occasion, just because that's what he liked to do is his hobby. 
I got into shock because of him. And he right there on the observation area, he just uh, passed away. Uh, in, in just complete immediate. Uh, that's tough. Know, no, that, that's tough. That tells us something about your mom, though, because she then ended up getting two younger boys through right. college after he was gone. Right. Is that is that the timeline? Yeah, um, pretty much. So my middle brother went to college, graduated. My younger brother went into the military. I don't think college was really for him. So he okay. did the military uh, and then he ended up uh, working. He's working in private industry now. So it was um, a tough time for her. She was, oh, I bet. we were all lost because he was kind of the guide and, and uh, you know, the, the leader of the family mm-hmm. and, my mother, to her credit, was able to get back up on her feet. And, um, you know, she worked, you know, a small part time job, but she managed to get through everything. And mm-hmm. uh, it was it was very devastating for her because she was 44 at the time. Now mm-hmm. I think about 44. It, it seems like, you know, I wish I was 44. <laughs> <laughs> Does she remarry? Is she still alive or how's your mom? She remarried um, years later. But she, and she passed away about three, uh, about four years ago. And she met a great guy. Uh, his name is Walt. Uh, and Walt was a great husband to her, a good. great stepdad. Good. And, you know, some people don't have a, a, a one good marriage. My mom was really fortunate to have two wonderful marriages. And That's so, great. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Of course, he he had to be good because there was four men from Queens that would have come over and paid him a visit if he didn't take care of her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, if you watch Goodfellas, I guess I could put the accent up a couple of notches and wear the right clothes. But uh, yeah, so uh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Okay, so you go to school. Uh, yeah, walk me into how the you know what'd you major in again? What'd you what'd you get your degree? finance? I was yeah, finance. Doctor. Okay, yeah. I don't. You know, I always love it when these finance majors turn into marketing executives, because. <laughs> <laughs> well, why finance? Did you like the numbers because your dad, the stocks and numbers and all that? Is that why you went with finance early on? Um, I started out pre-med. So I oh. was taking pre-med classes. I was very okay. good in, in high school. I had really, really good grades. I took advanced placement hematology, advanced placement biology. So we were working with, uh, uh, you know, E. coli samples. We were working with blood samples from Sloan Kettering. And our final was blind samples of blood. And we had to do this the old way, not the computerized way. And we had to diagnose the type of blood disorder, if any. And it was, I just found it fascinating. So I loved bio. I love biology. Um, Took it in college, started off in college, took some classes. And about a year, year and a half in, I just realized that, you know, coming from a modest background, how much time and money it would take to become a doctor. And I just said, you know what? I just don't think I can do it. And Mm -hmm. Um, and of course, in hindsight, with the right advice and guidance, maybe I would have stuck it out because I was really good at it, but, uh, went into finance, went to business and then found finance. I do like numbers. I have to say I was, wasn't really good at first with the numbers. Um, it really took some time for me to really become disciplined and focused on, you know, learning advanced statistics and, you know, present value of money and compound annual growth rates and, you know, all the fun stuff that comes with finance. But I, I settled in, um, became very comfortable with it and, yeah, started my career as a finance person. How do you transition into a big time marketing executive? What happened? Did somebody, 
you're in a meeting one day and somebody's like, hey, you're kind of creative. You got some ideas. Come to this marketing meeting. <laughs> well, Steve, I'm glad you asked that question. So um, it, it really is interesting. So I started off in finance, a lot of numbers. I did some prod- product management work. I joined JP Morgan, what's now JP Morgan at the time, it was Chase Manhattan in the mm-hmm. management development program. <clears throat> and then um, went through a lot of their consumer businesses, computer operations, and settled in in education finance and got involved in numbers and product marketing and, and some things. So I had a little bit of taste of marketing, okay. but really stuck to the numbers side and had a, a subsequent number of jobs that were all numbers based. And I enjoyed it. And at some point I had left uh, Chase, went to American Express. Now, let me pause right there for the listeners. You became a VP at Chase pretty, pretty fast at a pretty young age, right? That was a, that was a nice climb there. Um, I had a good progression. So every job I took, I had a focus of what is that job going to do for me? And in fact, for anyone listening, you know, a really good piece of advice someone gave me is, okay, so you know what this job is, what's the next job after that? Because Mm -hmm. if you can't figure out what that next job coming after this one is, think twice about taking this job. Love it. And so it was, it was a really good piece of advice. One I learned many years ago and haven't forgotten. So, um, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to to break your stride right there as you were flowing, but yeah, I just, I did notice, you know, for the listeners, really good progression, you know, in your career with responsibility levels and titles, you know, and it doesn't always, doesn't always go that smooth, uh, you know, for people. I I don't know if smooth is the right word. I know it was a lot of work and I'm sure there are a lot of bumps in there, but it doesn't always hit like that, you know? Right. And, uh, and you always did, which tells me you were a, yeah, you you were constantly looking forward. You were, I'm guessing you were raising your hand a lot saying, Hey, me, I'm over here. I'll take more. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you two things, actually. Um, so part of that's true. Uh, you know, I worked hard and figured that would go a long way, you know, just by working hard, getting results. And to some degree, that's part of true. it. That's part of part it. Yeah. it. I learned also uh, later in my career that the non-essentials, what I call non-essentials, but the really turned out to be essentials of how you market yourself, you build your brand, yes. uh, you develop your reputation is critically important. And Absolutely. I always tended to underinvest in that aspect. So my advice to people is that while, while you don't want to shamelessly self-promote yourself, um, even though I've seen people do it and become very successful, I still think building a very strong foundation in what you can do, the skills you have, the bridges you build are gonna help you in your career. And careers are not straight lines. I can tell you even now, and I'm on the second half of my career in terms of where I am in my journey, I have not had an easy run over the last decade or so. Um, You know, merges, uh, economic downturns, choosing the wrong job, uh, all have come into factor. So perseverance becomes really important. Uh, You know, don't ever get so disappointed or so tuned out that you give up. And I've never given up. And in the end, um, you know, it works out. Pitbull said something profound on a 60 Minutes interview. He says, (laughs) the harder you work, the more luck you get. It's true. 
I, and I want to, I want to pause there and kind of just emphasize some of the things you just said. I, I felt very similar, you know, coming from a background where I had a dad that just, just worked hard, right. It was all about work ethic. And I was very much like that in my twenties and thirties and even, even, you know, some of my early forties, but, but mainly my twenties and thirties, I just kept thinking if I work harder than everybody else, that is what matters and nothing else matters. And I did not spend enough time on relationships. I did not spend enough time on what I call the soft skills or marketing myself or, you know, making sure that I'm getting in front of the right people and some of these moves that you right. need to make the relationship marketing piece of it. I just, I did not spend enough time doing that. And, and like it or not, it is part of it. And, and you do have to, you got to have both. You do need to market your career raise your hand, get in front of the right people, have the right relationships, make sure the right people like you and work hard. <laughs> All true, true, true and true. Uh, yeah. it, 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 was a, it was a tough lesson for me because I'd say, but I'm, you know, I'm getting a lot of my work done. I'm getting great ratings. And, you know, I always got great ratings, good yeah. reviews, uh, yeah. good increases, but there really was um, a blind spot for me in my ability to see just how important that was. Mm. and discounting it a little bit too much. So mm -hmm. having said that, you know, I learned from it and um, still probably skewed more. More people tell me I'm understated in my capabilities and what I'm uh, good at doing. Uh, that's just part of my persona. I'm not someone who's going to walk into a room and fill it up with what I can do. I rather, you know, just get to the work and get it done and be able to show what I'm capable of. So what, yeah. 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 So what happened? What, what how, I want to know about this pivot. There was a there was a turn or a doorway somewhere uh, where, you know. <laughs> yep. So I'll tell you, Steve, it was um, at American Express. I had been in finance for okay. a couple of years working for some very smart people. Right. And the head of risk management brought me into the risk side of the organization. And he put me in charge of um I won't bore you with the details, loan loss provision, basically a $2 billion expense. Every basis point was worth about $10, $10 million. So when you're off on your forecast by just a few basis points, it's really, um, it's really a big deal. Ugh. And so I was working on the numbers, um, working, uh, like I mentioned, a, a gentleman named Ash. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to use last names, but his first name is Ash. Absolutely um, incredible boss from the perspective of knowing numbers better than anyone. As much as I tried to go in the office, knowing numbers better than he never happened. Maybe once, <laughs> maybe once. So, so he, was, he was fantastic. So one day he comes into my office and says, um, you're in charge of the web for risk management. Go figure it out. The web remember, for risk management, okay. Yeah, so I was in risk management. So I, I'm, I remember him coming to my door, I'm kind of visualizing it and watched him walk away. And I said, web, that was like, um, you know, AOL and, and chat rooms. I mean, <laughs> American Express didn't even have a website. We were part of a uh, keyword in AOL. So um, I started to get engaged uh, on the website for risk management, coming up with ways we can leverage technology in real I time. I yep. see. The first real time, as he would like to describe, the first real time uh, system at American Express was the authorization system. You swipe your card and you know immediately whether you can use it or not. <clears throat> so that was pre-web and pre, 
digital and pre-technology, that was the first real-time system. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I got involved in how can we uh, get rid of certain bumps in the road for our customers in terms of their experience? Can we alleviate any disruptions at the point of sale in terms of being able to provide either a better decision or use data in a more effective way? And that's where I started. And then within a few months, they gave me, um, uh, through an org change, they gave me also operations. So anything you do online in terms of statements or payments or viewing your bill, just about anything you can do online once you log in is operations. And it was really the first time, (coughs) excuse me, that operations had a very customer first facing role in a very different way, even Mm. I'd, I'd, I'd say even more prominent or as prominent as marketing and marketing in American Express ruled the roost, right? It's a marketing driven company, mm-hmm. but now here you have servicing people building experiences that when you come to the site, not only is it a good experience, but that we can do something more with you in terms of maybe an upsell, maybe a cross sell, you know, at the time. So we took on um, basically a very, nascent process on operations, looked at where the call volumes were coming in, um, and we started to roll out capabilities. And we started with the simple. And you have to remember, this is at the time when people didn't trust the web. No one would make a payment. People didn't even like to apply for stuff on the web. I remember. Uh, wow. You're, 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 wow. Let's just take a deep breath right there. I remember those days when people would say, well, I'm not putting my information online. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, a very different world now, right? If, if you don't offer those services, you don't do business wow. uh, with customers. So we started there and we started to build some really good momentum. We put numbers behind everything. Having a finance background is a huge plus as, as someone who eventually moved into marketing. So I was really transitioning. At some point, there was a major reorg at the company and they moved all the digital groups together because they all kind of bubbled up into their own groups separately. So it made a lot of sense to bring everyone together. And I had a choice and Ash said to me, you know, you can stay in risk or you can move into the web. And he said, look, I think you're really good at this web. And he said, you have nothing to lose. If it doesn't work out, if you don't like it, you can always come home to risk management. And um, I appreciate wow. that because it was, it was a safety net for me because I didn't know how it was going to go, right? It was a new group. Uh, In fact, there was a bit of tension with the groups coming together because Mm. there was central group and Mm. all the disparate groups that work within the businesses. So the groups, there was a little bit of tension of the central group and the the other and the business-led groups, but we pulled it together. Everyone came together. Uh, I wouldn't say it was an easy road, but I think we really came to a good um, place where we all worked very well together and we had good relationships among that team. So when that happened, they gave me all of the marketing groups within the U.S. Ah. So I almost immediately went from probably a year before uh, a straight risk guy, numbers, um, you know, a lot of spreadsheets, now into trying to figure out the web for American Express. And I had a lot of good people. So <laughs> we turned that? that channel into the single largest customer facing channel. If you look at payments and card acquisition mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. transactions, 
it was it was just phenomenal um, what we did with membership rewards. We took experiences that we did offline and saw that they weren't necessarily as good as American Express wanted, and we turned them into, you know, non-disrupted real-time transactions. And have you ever thought? Have you ever thought about your career? I'm sure you have, because you're a reflective guy, or else you wouldn't have written a book, right? So, if he hadn't come into your office that day and said. I need you to lead this web thing. Who knows what your career? I, who knows? I, you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't know. Um, yeah, I would have probably stayed in, in risk for, for the rest of my yeah. time at American Express. Mm. It was, uh, you know, it was unusual to make such a dramatic move <clears throat> as I made. But, you know, kudos to the management team because they, they tap people where they see opportunity. Right. Yeah, and good for it them. Gave me, it gave me a shot, and I wasn't going to let them down. Yeah, and that's good. Yeah, that's good. it was. It was really nice, and it was great. You know, your numbers background, your finance background. So you, you know, you weren't, you were never just a what I call a uh, this looks pretty marketing person. You were a this makes sense, and here's the data, and here's the you know here's the numbers, which which I really appreciate as a as a you know, CEO for RiderFlex and somebody that was a CEO for a couple of other companies. I always hated the marketing people that were like, yeah, well, it feels good and it feels right and it smells good. And I'm like, yeah, well, show me the numbers. <laughs> exactly. Um, it, it's been a huge asset. So, you know, good. you just mentioned good. it. I, I say it all the time. I don't want to be viewed as a pretty pictures marketing guy. Right. Uh, and, and it's not a disrespect to certain types right. of marketing true, people. True, true. You know, True. There's, there's a skill and there's an art to marketing. And, you know, I back up everything. Even my budgets are built from the ground up. And I ask my team, what, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And what do you expect to get for it? And if they can answer those questions, we can back them up by numbers. When I go in for money in terms of my budgets, no matter what company I've worked at, it's very hard for them to say, this doesn't feel right. Right. I, I don't, you know, a lot of times people go in with budgets and they kind of pull numbers out of the air yeah. and being a marketer, I think I surprised a number of people in a number of jobs by coming in with such a detailed plan. Oh and yeah. CFOs, CFOs, they probably loved you. They're like, Oh man, Jeff's great. <laughs> yeah. They, they love me. Even if they didn't want to, even if they didn't believe in marketing, they couldn't just <laughs> numbers. So it's you know, good. It's so good. Numbers, then, you know, chances are I'll get some of the funding. Yeah. Right. You got more yeses from CFOs than most people. Um, now let me take a quick pause here. Were you, where are you in your family life at this time? Married kids, uh, where, where, where are you there on the personal side as you're rolling into this more responsibility and VP stuff? Yeah. So I'm married, um, uh, to the girl who lived next door. Uh, are you serious? The, are you serious? Yeah. She lived, uh, diagonally across, not exactly next door. So, um, so there were many nights when you snuck, snuck out the window and nobody knew. You want to go ahead and confess about that right now? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I, you, you cut out. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, was, I was a good boy. So, um, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but we've been married for 32 years. You How know, about that? Congratulations. Met, yeah, thank you. But, you know, marriage is, is work. And there are times when you have your ups and downs and um, we're no different, but, you know, you get to a point where you kind of work out the, the bugs and 
the nuances and what gets under your skin and, and you, you go from there. So how many kids? Three grown. Uh, one is actually out of, out of school, graduated about three, four years ago. He works for one of my former companies. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> and, 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 and talk about, um, strange. He was on a conference call and he told someone who used, I hired at that company, um, that, oh yeah, my dad is Jeff Fleischman. And, and she had to stop to me wait a minute, your dad is who? Jeff, oh my God. And then she said, did you read his book? Um, which he has, so, uh, I'm going to have, that's to have great. But yeah, so, um, so he's there and then I have two kids in college. One's a junior in, uh, at Ithaca and one's a, um, I'm sorry, a senior <coughs> soon to graduate senior, um, at Ithaca. He'll graduate soon, uh, one semester. And my daughter, my youngest, uh, she's at Tampa and she's a junior. Finally got a girl in there somewhere after four, after three brothers and two, two sons early, you finally got a girl in there. Absolutely. And I owe, <laughs> wine, I owe the wine industry for my daughter. <laughs> uh, that, uh, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, yeah, 32 years of marriage is, is great work. Uh, congrats, you know, for all the folks out there that are younger and they're, they're, uh, they've been married for maybe 10 years. Cause right around 10, 10 years is when, you know, things you, you got to learn how to give and adapt even more. One of the things I've gotten really good at now, and I'll be 55 uh, in August. I've just gotten really good at saying, okay, honey. Yeah. And yes, dear. Like this small stuff anymore. It doesn't even phase me. I mean, if she wants to buy a purple couch and put it in the living room. Okay. Sounds good. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I just don't, I, I, and that's my, my point of bringing that up for anybody listening is I, and I tell my sons this, I have a 28 year old uh, or excuse me, a 30 year old and a 26 year old. I always tell them, I'm like, look, the small stuff, just learn how to let the small stuff slide right off your back. It doesn't matter. Now, if she's about to whip out the checkbook and go buy a new car without even talk, talking to you. Okay. That's different. <laughs> right. But, if, but, but, but if she wants to, you know, do whatever, you know, that is okay, honey. And I that solves so many things, Jeff. It solves so many problems. I, I think, I think, you know, marriage and raising children are pretty much kind of the same philosophy. Right. So, you know, if you have to count to your kids that, you know, she used to count, yeah, I'm going to give you to three. I said, once you start counting, you lose. So being a parent is, is um, it's part psychological, you know, you have to let them know you're in control without having to do too much to prove it. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, I used to make believe I could feel what's in their stomach. Now I could obviously see what they eat for dinner and I'd walk away from the table and I'd ask them, did you eat your vegetables? Oh yeah. So come over here. Let me feel your stomach. And I, Oh, I see you had your pasta and yet where, where, wait, where the carrots and (laughs) I had them believing for years that I could tell <laughs> what's in their stomach. That's pretty good. So, yeah, yeah. That's but good. Even, even with kids, you know, um, they're, you know, my kids are overall pretty good. Um, my oldest was my button pusher. So there are some things I won't disclose on this. Uh, Why do we all have those? Anybody that has three or four kids always has a button pusher in there somewhere. There's got to be one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't know, but it comes with the territory. And, you know, and you have to really be able to pick and choose your battles and the ones that count, you fight and you don't, there's no discussion. It's the dictatorship. Yeah, I agree. And, and, yep. And the other ones, you know, you have to let go. My daughter used to 
argue every morning what she would wear when she went to school. And her and my wife would argue and argue. And so I said, why don't you give her two options and let her pick the two? There you go. And give her some power. Give her, let her feel victorious. <laughs> and, and actually, that's a rule that you want to give you to, to people for how to treat a boss, right? Some bosses yes. want that power of making the yes. decision. Yes. But they don't I call make- it. Yep. I call it letting them, I call it letting them pee on it. I always tell them I just let him pee on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got to do lot of that. So, um, but yeah, so it's, it, it's a good, actually it was, it, it worked that well. So I think, you know, uh, yeah. no situation, you know, you're, 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 you can be pushed a lot, especially with kids and you just have to figure out, don't make everything into a battle. Well, and by the way, why don't our older kids, why don't our grown kids just do it, give, follow the advice? Why don't any of them just follow the damn advice? You know, God, you know, my wife's like, she, the other day, she's like, we have four children. Can one of them just do what we suggest? Just one. Right. Well, (laughs) yeah, it's, you know what? It's, um, they have to be themselves, but I do find as they all get older, my younger two, um, I think there's a lot of uh, synergies in terms of what I do and what they would do. And my old ones just wired differently. So all kids are all wired differently, but he's come around. I mean, he's really um, become a very different person since he started working. Working will have that effect on people. You got that right. um, You know, and it's not easy out there. So I said, you know, you know, when he was in high school, oh, I'll make a million by the time I'm 25. And I'd laugh and say, oh, yeah, sure you will. Just don't forget your dad but it's going to be a lot older than 25. And I hope you're right, but chances yeah. are. So yeah. now, tell, yeah. Tell us, so, so I, I, let's move into the, the back part of your career now, what you're doing now. Give me a summary of where you're at, what you're doing, um, company overview. And sure. then after that, and then after that, we'll get into the book. Yeah, go for sure. it. Sure, absolutely. So I'm the chief marketing officer of Altimetric. Altimetric is a digital and data services company. So um, how I would characterize that is everyone's moving digital. And I can go into all the the reasons why COVID being a big catalyst for all of that. Mm. But our founder has been talking about digital business since we were founded 10 years ago. And he came up with a concept that there is a better way of developing you know, digital technology and data to help companies drive outcomes. And he's always been there. It's the oh. world pivoted to where he's been standing because of COVID. And everyone's, you know, woken up to the fact that this thing we call digital business is very important and it's critical to survival. So the company focuses on helping companies scale their digital and data capabilities to get them up and running in a very quick way driving specific outcomes. So we'll go in and meet with companies. We first wanna know what their pain points are, what their challenges are. And then we provide solutions in the form of a proof of concept. We don't come in with a big contract, a multi-year contract. We come in with a solution and we do it in weeks, maybe a couple of months. And that opens the door to building a relationship, building the trust, and we become an extremely large um, partner to a, a whole host of companies. <clears throat> you know, we work with Ford, uh, PayPal, Citibank, Novartis, um, uh, you know, probably several hundred companies 
I think we've onboarded 80 companies this year alone. Nice. Uh, sizes, uh, nice. Startups all the way up to the big guys. I was going to say, yeah, what do you, you focus on? So you do startups all the way up to Fortune 500, huh? All the way. So we can do everything from front end to back end development, complete end to end solutions. We have a sister company that we spun off called Calibo, which is a product platform as a service. That company focuses in on integration orchestration um, in a vendor agnostic and software agnostic environment. So you can imagine all these companies have all these different systems and they don't yes. really talk well together. They're yes. some are older than others. We can take the whole thing, replatform uh, all of those packages and vendors um, together, integrate them and push it to the cloud. So you have a company that's a monolithic type of structure and I'm a marketing guy talking like a tech guy, I think. Right. Um, um, and we move uh, from monolithic, monolithic to a modern technology platform uh, where people can use data. And our founder likes to say companies spend millions to get data and they turn a data lake into a data swamp. And you'll hear CEOs say, I spend more money, I have more data, and I can do less with it now than oh, I did before. I was just about to say, in layman's terms, would it be safe to say that Altimetric helps you? bring all the data that you have and make good decisions from it and understand it better. Is that accurate? Absolutely. So we call a single source of truth. So it's everything from ingestion of, of structured and unstructured data. Cause as you know, IOT, the web transaction systems, there's a yeah. proliferation of where the data is coming from. And yes. there's a whole yes. compliance and security level to all of that this. Too. Yeah, that too. And you bring all that data together, you build the data pipelines, you build it into a data lake, that lake feeds a warehouse, that warehouse you tap into for AI, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and, and build predictive tools to really help the company operate and deliver better customer experiences, um, lower their cost of inventory, uh, make better decisions faster, and deliver you know, on customer expectations in a much more dynamic way. So data is certainly the lifeblood of every company. And that really is a key component to what we do. We also do things like DevOps, oh. cybersecurity, agile okay. development. Okay. So we're, we're a full shot. <laughs> so is it, is, it, is it a service business and a SaaS business and a software business? <laughs> in, in combination of what we do with our platform company, uh, yes, we do both. Okay. Um, okay. We provide... Um, you know, we provide the teams and we provide the thought leadership in some cases. You know, companies have challenges in that they're silo-based. Yes. Um, that Every you company, have yes. a lot of technology groups are running uh, technology development and they're developing things without understanding, are we solving for a business outcome? So we've kind of flipped that where technology and the business have to work hand in hand, okay. right? But the business has to define what it is that we're going for. What are the outcomes we need to achieve? And then all the other things come into place. What we do a little bit differently also is we have practitioners. And what we define as practitioners, people can look at a process from end to end. So when, even when we hire, we go through a pretty rigorous hiring process. And we hire, I think, less than 10% of the people we interview. Mm. And what we look for are people can understand the end to end process. They can understand that there's a business challenge. 
that challenge has to be addressed through data and technology. And what it is that comes out on the other side is gonna deliver the results that the client needs. So we don't look for someone who's not only good at technology, we also look at people who can also think like business folks. And it's a harder skill to get, but those softer skills are important. And just to let you know real quickly, um, the the, um, mix and uh, business model have led to incredibly strong growth, 50% year over year revenue growth. I mean, nice. not just one year, 50. I joined That's the company. Great. We had 1,900 people. I was just so, about to ask you. Yeah, 1,900. Now, what is it at? Yep. Over 5,500. And we're aiming to go to between six and 8,000. And um, so it's, it's just enormous. We've opened up development centers. Uh, we have presence in Uruguay, US, and India. Since I joined, we've opened up development centers in Mexico. Um, we have opened up a development center in Poland. We expanded offices in the UK, Ireland. We expanded even deeper into India, deeper into the US, Japan, Great. Canada, Costa Rica. So we're looking um, now, I think, at Portugal. So the company has seen just incredible growth from an employee perspective, from a revenue perspective, and we're putting on clients. Uh, fair, and as a marketer, I like to use company logos. I can't keep up with the amount. Of <laughs> so, I love that. So not only not only great for the company, but great for your career to be part of the leadership team, the senior leadership team during that growth phase. So congratulations. By the way, I forgot to mention, now that you've been on the Rotterflex podcast, any other recruiting firms or internal recruiters that you've used are all fired and you have to go through us from now on. Did, did, we, did, we, did they tell you that? Ahead? No, I'm just, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, congratulations. Seriously, congrats on the, on the growth. I mean, that's, it's really wonderful. I mean, you've had a great career anyway, right? But to be part of that type of growth is, that's just such great experience overall, uh, which. Yeah, no, it's been great. This, this role has, I took a very different role when I came here because I typically work for very large companies. This was yeah. a very, very small company. Small I mean, compared to what you'd done. Yes. That's yes. right. They're very small. Yeah. And um, it, it's been fantastic. Our founder is a serial entrepreneur. Still He's involved. Old. So the founder's still there, still there every day. I, yeah. I talk to him almost daily. Um, How about he that? is a. Um, he has more passion and more drive than anyone I've ever met uh, in business. And by and the he, way, 90% of the founders I've interviewed or I've ever dealt with cannot start a company and take it to 5,500 employees and still be in charge. That, that is a very tiny, small percentage of people on planet Earth that could do that. Right. And he sold his last company. Um, uh, he grew it from scratch to, I, I forgot how many, it was in, I don't know if it was tens of thousands, but a very large company he sold for 1.3 billion. Um, and, and, and since then he's had this idea, he started this company on his own, not, you know, a privately held. Um, we, we don't have, you know, a bunch of investors and the company has grown organically and it's this inflection point we hit during COVID is when the world said, okay, this digital thing was going to happen at some point down the road. It now has to happen right now. Yeah, right and now. <laughs> people see our way of digital business in these small bite-sized outcomes. Our approach is not the big bang approach because that's rife with all sorts of challenges and it, it doesn't always turn out to be what you expect it to be. So we typically go in in a very tiny project and then we end up being one of the largest uh, partners to, to some of the world's largest brands. It, I, it just, I, 
congrats on that. I want to think I got to get the, the founder. What's the founder's name? Raj Vaikudi. I got to get him on the podcast. By the way, when he sold the other company for a billion dollars, right, he could have just retired. Meanwhile, here he is still humping it every day, coming into the office, growing his second company. Right. I mean, wow. OK. And it's not just this guy. He has all sorts of uh, things. He has a foundation that he's okay. very generous to the community. How about he's, that? Um, I think he was the backer of the first robotic prostate surgery and funded that. Um, okay. through, um, wow. Yep. So he's from very Detroit. Nice very dedicated to Detroit area, has made some significant investments in philanthropy in the Detroit area, also helps the underserved in India. Um, uh, nice. Financial education. So yeah. Nice. Altimetric.com for the listeners. A-L-T-I metric, T-R-I-K. Altimetric.com for the listeners. Plus you can also follow the company on LinkedIn. Before we run out of time, yes. you're also in your spare time, Right. You wrote a you, you wrote a book because you have so much right. spare time, right? Yeah. <laughs> my book. You yeah, absolutely, man. Let's I want to I want to see the book. Advice to my younger self, right? A common yeah. sense guide to navigating your career by That's Jeffrey right. Fleischman. That's available, right. available on Amazon and probably a bunch of other places, right? Absolutely. Lulu and uh, Barnes and Noble. So yeah, um, it's interesting. I wanted to. I've always had in the back of my head, you know, what would I have done differently? Right. We all do. Right. So it's, you know, yes. what would I have done differently? And, yes, and yes. I have my share of cringeworthy moments. I think back of some of the stuff I might've said thinking I knew what I was talking about and um, probably didn't know as much as I thought I did. You know, it, 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 it's always something that stuck with me. And I met an influence and she said, you have a story to tell you should write a book. And I I laughed at her. I said, me have a story, me write a book. I said, no, I don't think so. Um, (laughs) And then, you know, I wrote a blog and I said, here are the things I would have told the younger Jeff. And I got such a good response out of that LinkedIn blog that I said, you know what? Um, I think I have a book here. And so I turned every one of those different pieces of advice into a chapter You know, for instance, listen with the intent to understand, find your advocates, you know, find the right work-life balance, pursue your passion. So it it gives advice to people and things they need to think about that I wish I had someone to to give me that advice when I was younger. So that was really the, um, the genesis of the book. And I always believe in giving back. I always invest in my people and my teams. I've always been that way. <clears throat> maybe to a fault where I don't spend as much time doing the same for myself, but I do it for my teams. And I have a lot of people that work for me that are ve- that had worked for me in the past that are very, very successful. And I wouldn't take all the credit, of course, because they had to earn it on their own. Uh, but I've worked with some really talented people. Um, I think giving back to that talent, I've worked with uh, some very, very top, um, top name executives uh, yeah. who have been CEOs of major corporations. Some of them are still CEOs of major corporations and they've just been big influence on me. And I'm a, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm a uh, patchwork of the best of what I see. And nice. so I felt that, you know, people have invested in me. I think I love investing in people. I coach, I mentor. And the book was really a way of me being able to give back at scale. So Okay. Um, it was a great exercise. Um, I love doing it. And I've, on occasion, I'll get a, a person to send me a little note and say, you know, ah. I read your book and I, ha- I want to tell you what it meant. And 
that's a special moment, right? Like that's got, that's yeah, probably yeah. worth, I mean, just that right there. Forget about any money that's involved. Just getting a note like that, that's got to be pretty powerful. Yeah, no, right. it is. And, and on the website, I have a website, advice to my younger self book.com. Um, I take, I tell people, if you like the book, take a picture of it somewhere. Uh, I have someone who took a picture of it in the Coliseum. Cool. I took a picture of it in India and, you know, I put it on the website, but um, the topic nice. is really big. There's a lot of content on the web about people, Oprah and many other people who give, who would give advice to themselves when they were younger. So I think the topic is really relevant and, um, Hopefully, where'd you get the, where'd you get the photos, by the way, for the website? Did you get, did you have to was that pulled from something? Or did, you, did you have to get permission from the actors to to do that? How'd you get that? Um, there was an artist that created those. And oh, okay. So took them. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he they were out there. So um, okay, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, cool. I hope after this conversation, I won't have to pull any of them. But um, oh, sorry. Know, <laughs> no, 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 no. No, you know what? Um, uh, uh, the, I like them. I like him. Yeah, no, no. It was some artist. He put a bunch of these things together and um, they're cool. Well, the old and new. Congrats on the book. Uh, really, I mean, to be an author, to, to, you know, be a family man, raise children, put all these kids through college, be married for 32 years, and have a great career continuing to move up and still humping it as a CMO now for a gr growing company. I mean, hey, man. Uh, you've nailed it. You've nailed a lot of it. You've checked a lot of the boxes, my friend. Congratulations. It's, it's been a good run. I have, uh, no major complaints. It's been a good run and <clears throat> just, you gotta keep pushing, right? Uh, life, uh, in, in corporate America is not a straight line. I've had some pretty big setbacks, um, things I didn't expect, but you know, you just keep, like you said, you keep pumping it and you keep, just keep pushing forward and, and, you know, just don't give up, you know, just keep going, live the passion. Jeff, thank you very much for being on the Rider Flex podcast and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Steve, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me.